scripture reading today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of, the Amal of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we know it would not do us any good at all to look at your word unless your Holy Spirit also came and gave us understanding and spoke to us from it. So we ask that he would do that for us today. Amen. The, uh, the passage that we're looking at today, I think, invites us to discuss the topic of prayer. Topic of prayer. And so with that topic in mind, I want to touch on three different thoughts. I want to first talk about the importance of prayer. Then I'd like to talk about the power of prayer. And then finally, I'd like to talk about the person who is praying for you. So we'll start with the importance of prayer. We're studying the book of Exodus right now. We're at the point in the book where they, the people of Israel have left their slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And they are right now in the middle of this vast wilderness when all of a sudden, without warning, a fierce tribe of nomadic warriors called the Amalekites attacks them. And Moses, seeing what's going on, it turns to Joshua, who at this point, this is 40 years before the Battle of Jericho. So Joshua's just a kid, inexperienced young man. Moses turns to Joshua, and he says to him, verse 9, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites, Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And then as we read, he spends the whole day with his hands like this. Now, in the Bible, the lifting of one's hands was like Moses does. This was a common posture of prayer. You, you might recall earlier in Exodus, in Exodus 9, there's an occasion where Moses promised to pray for someone, and he referred to prayer, he called it stretching out my hands to heaven. Just a common way of praying. King, King David, likewise, Psalm 28, he called prayer lifting up my hands toward God's most holy place. You see it again in the, in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul says, I want the men everywhere to pray 
lifting up holy hands. So in the Bible, this posture, we think of often kneeling as a posture of prayer. In, the, in biblical thinking, this was a common posture of prayer. So Moses' physical posture in this passage would just indicate that while Joshua and his men were going out to fight the enemy, Moses and his friends were staying behind to pray. That's kind of the scene in this passage. You've got, you got two groups of men. One, one group goes out to engage in deadly physical combat. The, the other group goes to a prayer meeting. And the question that I want to ask is, which group of men was engaged in the more important task? Now, how would we know the answer to that? Well, listen, when you study historical narrative in the Bible, and that's the genre of literature we're looking at today. When you study historical narrative, one, one of the ways that you can determine the point that the biblical author is trying to, to make is to read the story and ask yourself what details are included in the telling of this story and what details are just kind of left out. And the reason you do that is because when something is really important, that you'll find lots of details. So in the part of the story where you're just given lots of description, the author is saying, this is what I want you to know. This is important. So, what details are we given about Joshua on the battlefield in this passage? I'll just ask some questions about Joshua. So, how many men went with Joshua? We don't know. What were their names? We don't know. Where exactly did they go? It doesn't tell us, right? How, how, how did they position themselves on the battlefield? Again, we don't know. How, how, exactly how long were they out there? Again, it doesn't say. Let's ask those same questions about Moses at his prayer meeting. How many men went with Moses? Two. What were their names? Aaron and Hur. Where did they go? They climbed the hill. How did they position themselves? Well, Moses sat on a rock. One guy stood on the right. The other guy stood on the left. How long were they out there? Verse 12 says, until sunset. So you see, isn't this interesting? We're given lots and lots of detail about the praying and virtually no detail about the fighting. Why? There's a quote by one of these old-time preachers, Leonard Ravenhill, that answers that question. Here's what, here's what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, prayer is not a preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. The battle was really fought not on the, on, 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 on the field. It was fought on the hill. So just think about what's going on in this passage. It's so amazing. They're, here they are in the middle of the wilderness. You can't call 911 out there, right? Who's going to help you? You're, you're, they're being attacked by this enemy that wants nothing but to kill and destroy and, and to capture their women and children, make them slaves again. That's what's at stake here. They've just escaped slavery. They're about to become slaves again. And Moses just understands that the most important thing he can do with his time and energy in a crisis like that is pray. Wonder if we under if we under I don't always think that way. Do you always think that way? That the most important thing we can do is pray. Why? Well, that's my second point. I want to talk about the power of prayer. And let me just let me just make this straight. Simple. Guys, prayer is powerful. 
Prayer is powerful. If you want to maybe a more theologically nuanced way to say that, you'd say this. God is powerful. God is omnipotent. There's nothing he cannot do. And God has decided that he will work in our lives and in this world in response to our prayers. God works. And so prayer is powerful. You know, you know somebody who believed that, I mean, really believed that, is Jesus. Uh, you, you allowed me a sabbatical earlier in this year. It was so, it was so refreshing. And one of the things I did with my time, I just spent a lot of time reading and meditating on and studying the teaching that Jesus gave us about prayer. So if, if you don't mind, give me just 90 seconds. I want to read for you um, some of the things that Jesus taught us about prayer. You ready? Here's, here's some things he said. Matthew 6. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Mark 11. Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Matthew 18, again truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They'll do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. John 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Again, John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 16, I'll end with this. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask. And you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Well, let me ask you, how do you feel when you hear those words? If you're like me, some of you kind of feel like, oh, man, somebody needs to put some qualifications on this. Explain, you know, the, the, the finer points of this. When you, know, when you can expect this to happen, when you can't. Let's, let's put some fine print at the promise, the, the bottom of this, this promise. Is, and listen, um, I agree if that's what you're thinking. That yes, indeed, we need to interpret biblical promises within their broader scriptural context. Can I, but can I ask you guys something? Did you hear what Jesus said? 
But did you hear what he said? We, we, we live in a therapeutic culture, and it, it shapes the way we think. And so here's what I found. A lot of Christians who are really committed to prayer, if you ask them, why, why do they pray? Why is prayer important to you? They'll, they'll say something like this. Well, the reason I pray is it just kind of centers me. It gives me emotional balance. Or the reason I pray is because it, it just, I, I get filled with this peace. It just carries me through the day. Or the reason I pray is because it, it gives me a closer sense of communion to the Lord. I just feel closer to God. And let me say something. There's nothing wrong with those things. Inner peace, emotional balance, a sense of communion. With those, those, those are all good things. And I would say that, yes, Scripture says that those are byproducts of a healthy prayer life. But Jesus never taught those as being the main reason why we should pray. In fact, he didn't even mention those as reasons why we should pray. Jesus, listen, again and again, Jesus said the reason why we should pray is because we need God to do something. Just need, and we expect God to work in our families, our church, our neighborhood, our life. We need God, and that's why you pray. So God will do something. So that he will forgive, so he will restore, so he will provide, so he will protect, so he will deliver from, from the enemy who attacks us. You, you, you pray. Why do you pray? To get results. And that maybe doesn't sound spiritual enough for some of you. You're too spiritual for Jesus. That's your problem. Well, that's what he said. And isn't that, isn't that why Moses climbed the hill that day? Mo Moses didn't go up that hill to get inner, inner peace, right? That's not what he's looking for. In fact, he didn't get peace. He, he, he struggled. He got weary up there. Moses went up the hill to pray because the enemy was attacking the people of God, and he wanted God to put an end to it. He wanted God to stop that attack. And here's, here's the amazing thing in this story. It worked. Verse, verse 10 says, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Verse 11 says, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And that sounds so strange, right? And I don't know exactly what that looked like. But you know what? It does tell us, guys, that there was a direct correlation between what was happening at the prayer meeting and what was going on on the battlefield. A direct correlation. The prayer meeting shaped the battlefield. In fact, you get to the end of the story and you, and, and you, and you understand it was, the, it was the intercessors that day, not the soldiers, right, who, who determined the outcome of the conflict. Prayer, guys, prayer is powerful. I International Justice Mission is a, Christian NGO, Christian nonprofit. It was started in the late 90s by a lawyer named Gary Haugen. They now have over 600 full-time employees. Uh, they work in 17 different field offices located all over, over the planet. And, and their mission as an agency is to combat slavery and sex trafficking and to work for property rights and, and workers' rights for the poor. And to date... Um, International Justice Mission has rescued over 45,000 people from, from conditions of brutal, brutal oppression. If you uh, get a job with the International Justice Mission, part of your job description will be this. You will be required 
to spend the first 30 minutes of every workday sitting at your desk in quiet solitude and prayer. Before you check your email, before you look at your phone, before the, the computer even goes on, you are required to spend 30 minutes just praying. Then, then at 11 o'clock in the morning, every workday, you are required to drop whatever you are doing and gather with your coworkers for a united prayer meeting. And, and then also in your job descriptions, four times a year, no matter how busy your schedule is, you are required to clear your schedule and to go on a prayer retreat with uh, the others who are on your team and your field office. You're, you're required to do these things. So I'm assuming if you don't really want to pray like that, I guess they just fire you. Doesn't matter if, listen, doesn't matter if you are the sharpest lawyer on the team, doesn't matter if you're the hardest worker in the office, if you won't pray, they don't want you. Why? Well, here's what, listen, here's what they say on their website. They say, the work of justice begins with prayer. As we seek justice on behalf of others, we rely on an all-powerful God to help us do what is only possible with and through him. So they say the work of justice begins with prayer. And I, would, would you agree with me that we could say that about a lot of other kinds of work that we're involved in? The work of raising a family begins with prayer. The work of healing a marriage begins with prayer. The work of running a business the work of producing good art, the work of finding a future spouse begins with prayer, the work of fighting temptation begins with prayer, the work of sharing the gospel with your neighbor, the work of building a church, it all begins with prayer. Why? Because, because an omnipotent God has decided that he will work in this world. And very often he says he will only work in this world in response to his people's prayers. So pray, you see this passage, how important prayer is, how powerful it is. And that just, when I read this, it just makes me wonder, why don't, do you feel this way? If prayer is that powerful, why don't? Why don't we pray more? As a church, why don't we gather to cry out to God? With our families, why don't we pray more? I mean, it's not, I don't want this to be a guilt trip. A guilt trip, making you feel guilty. I'm offering you the power of God in our lives. It's so, so amazing. It's so important, it's so powerful. And then my third point, I want to talk about the person who's praying for you. And let me just, I admit, this point is kind of disconnected from the other two. Um, and the reason is because I kind of want us to change our perspective. We've been kind of looking at this passage from the perspective of Moses on the top of the, the hill, um, interceding for, for the soldiers. Let's, let's kind of change our perspective and, and look at Joshua for a moment. Can we do that? Um, let, me, let me ask you, can you imagine how Joshua felt? He's just a young, he's just a young man. He's, he's never seen combat. None of his men have ever seen combat. Their whole lives, they've just been slaves, right? They, he, as far as we know, he has no leadership experience. He's being sent out to fight against these Amalekites. These were basically professional killers. That's how they lived. They would raid and invade and maraud and rape and enslave. That's what they did. That's what they were good at. Joshua has to go fight them. Can you imagine... How reassuring it must have been for Joshua, knowing that Moses was praying for him. 
just how reassuring, how comforting, how that gave him courage. Moses was up there. It's like out there, every moment on the battlefield, Moses is up there praying for me. The only problem was sometimes Moses stumbled in his intercession. Sometimes he faltered as, a, as, as prayer support. He, his, his arms grew tired and they fell down. And, and we read, whenever his arms are up, Israel is winning. Whenever his arms are down, the Amalekites are winning, right? And so, uh, and by the way, this is not describing a basketball game. Understand, it's not like uh, his arms went up and the Israelites hit a three-pointer and they pulled in the lead and his arms went down. There was a turnover. The Amalekites took the lead. No, it's not, it's not basketball. This is war. So every time Moses grew weary and his arms went down, or every time his faith, he like, I don't know if I believe God is going to answer, or every time he got distracted and his, and his mind wandered, every time his prayer faltered, it's not, listen, every time that happened, a Hebrew man died. Every time he, his prayers faltered, that meant some Israelite Mother was going to bury her 18-year-old son that night. I mean, this was serious. They, he, they needed Moses to pray. And he did his best. But it wasn't quite good enough. He kept getting tired. His arms kept falling. And so what Joshua really needed is he just... He needed someone who could pray for him perfectly. And someone whose prayers would never falter. Someone whose intercession would never cease. Not even for a second. And he, he, needed, he needed someone, for example, who could pray for him with infinite wisdom. Somebody who would know exactly what Joshua needed for God's will in his life to be fulfilled every second of every day. That's the kind of prayer warrior he needed backing him up. Or he needed, he needed someone who would pray for him with limitless love. Just, he would just pray the name of Joshua with just heartfelt compassion for him. He needed an intercessor who had perfect righteousness. Someone who could stand before the throne of God and know that every word from his lips would be received because he stood there with perfect righteousness. So the, the problem in this story is as good an intercessor as Moses was. He wasn't good enough. I mean, they won the battle. But some guys died that day. Well, the good news, believer in Christ, is that you have someone like that. You have the kind of intercessor that Joshua needed. You have someone like that praying for you, right now. Romans 8.34 tells us his name. It says, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. How many of you think that's good news? I just want to make sure you're awake. He is, not he might be interceding for us, not he used to be interceding for us, not he will be interceding. He is right now interceding for us. First, first, first John 2 verse 1 says we have an advocate with the Father. There, it's like a lawyer standing before the judge's bench pleading the case of his client. 
That's Jesus is your advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. So Jesus, believer in Christ, right now, he's praying for you. And that blows my mind. I don't even know how to wrap my thoughts around that. It's just so mysterious. Somehow, in, in the center of the inf infinite glory of the triune Godhead, your name is being mentioned right now. The Son is talking to the Father about you right now. Every second of every day, your name is on his lips. And your name is on the Father's ears. Every moment of every day, his hands never grow weary. They never fall down. He's always pleading for you. I don't, is that crazy? I wonder what he's saying. The Bible never tells us. But I can only assume that Jesus is interceding for you, believer, in accordance with your needs. And why do I say that? Because he loves you. He really loves you and he cares about your needs. So if, if, if you, for example, you need protection. I just uh, imagine the son standing before the father and he is, he is just claiming all of these promises in the, in the written eternal word of God that God has made. He's just saying, father, you promised to be her shield. You promise to be his refuge. You promise to be his hiding place or, or her protector. I claim that promise for them. I claim it. Or it might, it might be that if you need provision, Jesus is right now. Um, he is claiming your inheritance rights as a blood-bought child of God. He's saying, Father, she's your daughter. You're not going to let your daughter go hungry. Father, he's your son. You're not going to leave your son in need. And it's not like the father is resistant to this. The father is like, yes, I wanted my son Jesus to ask that because this is what I want to do in your life. So this mysterious intercession is going on for you. And it may be today that you need forgiveness. And in, in that case, I'm sure Jesus is right now pleading the merits of the blood that he himself shed for you on Calvary. Saying, Father, you must forgive him. You must forgive her. I paid for that sin already. He just So I don't know exactly what he's saying, but I'm sure it's something somehow similar to this. He is praying for you. Christian. He said, well, what if I'm not a Christian? I'm not sure I really trust in Christ. Well, then I, I, I would just have to tell you, I don't have any warrant from Scripture to say that Jesus is praying for you if you're not a believer. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but there's no, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that says he is interceding for you if you've never come to him in faith. In other words, I can't tell you with confidence that right now Jesus' hands are lifted up like this for you. But unbeliever, I can tell you with confidence that though he may not be standing before the Father like this, he is standing before you like this. Arms open wide. Saying, you're invited. Don't be left out. Just 
Stop resisting me. You know I love you. Come to me. I'll put you on my prayer list right now. Come to me. Be, be one of mine. So his arms are open wide for you. Let me close with this. Moses, verse 15, built an altar, and then he gives it a name. Don't you love Moses? Like everywhere he goes, he's given names to place. Remember last week they were grumbling? He says, let's name this place grumbling, right? Let's and, and, and today he builds an altar, and he gives it a name. And what a name. He calls it. The Lord is my banner. And they tell me in Hebrew it's something like Jehovah Nisi, right? The Lord is my banner. And we're all saying, what in the world does that mean, my banner? Um, well, you ever see like Lord of the Rings where they're out there fighting with the swords and everything? Um, they, they always have the flags in the middle of the troops, the banner. And in ancient warfare, the banner was an indispensable part of their military strategy. They didn't have walkie-talkies. They didn't have GPS. So if... if a soldier, let's say, were to get separated from his comrades or be injured or in some, somehow in danger on the battlefield and didn't know where to go, what he would do is just look for the banner. Just look for the banner. Where, because, where, listen, wherever the banner was, that's where the king was. Wherever the banner was, that's where the strongest troops were. Wherever the banner was, if you just run to the banner, you will be safe. That's all you have to do. No matter what's going on, no matter what's taking place, you look for the banner and you run to it and you're safe. And Moses said, my banner is the Lord. Amen. And Christians, we say the same thing. We say our banner is Jesus. We don't trust in our money. We don't trust in our strength. We don't trust in our professional plans for our life. No. The one we look to is him. The one we cry out to is him. We cry out to the Father in his name. We run to the banner. And we're safe. Amen. So let's pray together right now. Jesus, thank you that you are praying for us. Thank you that you never take your eyes off us. You never forget our needs. I think there are some here this morning who are just so discouraged or brokenhearted or hurting. I pray that you just let them know that you are right now interceding for them. Comfort them with that prayer. And God, teach us how to fight back against the enemy by praying. We're sick and tired being kicked around by the one who hates our souls. Teach us to pray and expect victory. And for our friends who don't know you yet, may they see the banner of your love in Christ and may they run, may they run to him. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.